Welcome to episode four of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Callum. Hi Luke, you right? Yeah, I'm good, thanks to you mate. Yeah, I'll sound, sound good. Cheers, mate. Uh, thank you for coming out today. No problem. Get some uh, more content in. Uh, your first question I'm going to go for today. Ooh, I'll have to have a think about this one. Um, let's go for your favourite movie. Oh, uh, and your favourite character at the movie. Can I give you a trilogy? <laughs> you probably like, yeah. I'm going to go with uh, the Batman trilogy, so uh, the Christian Bale version. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'll go with Batman, let's go with the main man. Okay, okay. Why Batman trilogy? Just, uh, there's a lot of things I could, re- well, I say relate to, I don't run around as a bat. Just <laughs> <laughs> run around as a bat. Um, but no, just a lot of things in that movie that just resonated with me, you know, a lot of, um, sort of bouncing back from like hardship and uh, a lot of just strength and determination. And then I think the second film, The Joker, was like, um, just exploring someone's different mindset. I think the joke is like a film that's you know, been out recently too. Yeah. Um, it's a character that's been well explored and yeah, it's just interesting to get into the mindset of someone like that and a bit of that anarchy. Okay. Anarchist. And for anyone that's seen the film, I'm sure they've enjoyed it as well. That's a good, a good first answer for your first question there. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, who is Callum? So I'm an exercise scientist and an associate lecturer at the University of Derby. Um, so I've done a undergraduate degree at the University of Birmingham in sport and exercise sciences, and I've also done a master's degree at the University of Derby, specialising in uh, physiology. Um, but I also do exercise testing in Birmingham and Derby, and at the moment I'm looking to apply for a few PhD projects that are about on uh, things like long COVID and the determinants of recovery. Yeah, and I was just talking about that before we actually started, mm-hmm. wasn't I, about uh, especially long COVID, um, and I think that's very interesting, like because we still don't know yet really yeah. the effects of long COVID mm-hmm. not only with like sports people mm-hmm. um, but I think like we said general public as well like we don't know what effects that's going to have on them exercise wise or even daily living I suppose in a way yeah. like it could have effects on them with other illnesses popping up like COPD and stuff I know like it's been associated with it and asthma mm-hmm. so I think it'd be interesting to see some actual like, research from yourself and for sure yeah there's um, quite a lot behind it in terms of you've mentioned some good points there relating to exercise and for those who have like respiratory diseases like COPD um, but other things they look at as well are something called quality so quality of life and functional outcomes so it could be simply something as um, a lot of people with long COVID or who have had COVID suffer with fatigue and breathlessness um and so a lot of the times I spent time in bed and there's deconditioning mm-hmm. associated with that. And so um, recovering from that and then being able to go around the house and do things like daily chores, um, you know, maybe it's just even just lifting up your children and they want to hug, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of a, a bit of a piggyback. Um, you know, just little things like this that relate to quality of life and functional outcomes that are really important, just as much as being able to walk and then eventually get back into exercise. It'd be interesting to see, there might be some research out there now, but it'd be interesting to see if there's any research to show, I don't know, maybe a, a participant in a, a certain amount of activity mm-hmm. before and after. Mm-hmm. Like, would their, does their performance drop or does their strength drop? Uh, mm-hmm. You know I mean? Or did oxygen levels even come down yeah. a lot more now than before? I'd be interested to see. Yeah, yeah, I think you make a good point. As a patient, there's going to be lots of different patients with different... COVID is going to affect uh, each patient differently. <clears throat> However, um, I think the point I want to make with this is that, uh, well, yeah, each patient is different. I, I just have a thought there. What's the point I wanted to make? Oh. You know, if there's my mouth, so you just stop for a second. Um, yes, so people's recoveries might be different from before. Yeah, so that's another point, a part of this project that I've considered before, is that not only do you need to have an invention, intervention post-COVID, um, but you need to have a psychological intervention post-COVID, so you need to reassess as to where you are now. 
and for those who I think you pointed out earlier, sort of like um, Willie Bollier, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brampton, yeah. You know, coming back from that, an elite footballer, um, may have may experience COVID, may not have experienced it that badly. However, reassessing their situation and thinking, right, well, now this is your functional baseline, and you need to work from here, is an important factor. Um, whereas someone who maybe a more general member of the public who may not have had a high fitness level beforehand, may then um, may not have experienced COVID that badly, and so they may have similar baseline levels or similar base levels as before. Whereas as a Premier League footballer, it may have affected them a lot. The deconditioning effect might have been a lot worse than someone from the general uh, from the general population. Have, have you with your obviously line of work? Have you seen anything like that at the moment? Have you worked with anybody who's had COVID or anything like that, or is there any difference in their performance or not? I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Um, so I know at University of Derby we were looking at some tests to assess footballers. I um, think specifically Notts County, and there were some tests that were associated with that. Um, if I was thinking about a few variables that were different, so it's things like VO2, might ventilation, um, all, all sort of respiratory factors associated with um, long COVID that we sort of look at and say, right, well, this seems lower than before, or um, this is different from before, or I think the one, one set of players, so Notts County was the set of players used by the one lecturer at the university, I wasn't involved with the testing, so I'm very like on the outside of this. But from what I can understand, is they had like a sort of return to play um, document. I think this has been published work as well. Um, I don't have to hand so I can't. I remember giving loads of words in that document, but they look look at more than just um sort of physiological measures. So they look at perception of effort, perception of breathlessness as well. Um, they also look at cardiovascular metabolic measures, so cardiovascular in your heart, blood pressure, um, other measures of metabolic, so like blood markers that they look at. Um, and these are all factors that need to be considered with COVID because COVID affects multiple physiological systems. And so a holistic approach needs to be taken with not just exercise individuals, but general population too. Yeah, I, I think obviously, like, again, because we don't have definitely yet what the obviously long-term effects are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still kind of working on that. But I think for the general public, it's to see obviously like what they can do to make themselves, I don't know, I say back to normal or pre-COVID, obviously yeah. if they've had it, what can work can they do? Can that be done in the gym or can that be done, like you said, at home, mm-hmm. through daily activities, anything like that? Uh, or is it one of the things that you have to kind of modify their lives yeah. kind of with that to yeah. see if they are got to do things differently? Yeah. Um, also, because we don't know for sure at the moment, it's kind of, we've got to just try it and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but I think you can definitely see, with some people that I've spoken to, you can definitely see a difference, whether that's in their fitness or like you said, respiratory-wise, yeah. it's definitely a difference. Uh, it's obviously, again, the only thing is it affects everyone differently. Yeah, yeah. So you can't yeah. pinpoint that one thing and say, oh, you're all going to, I don't know, lose so much strength or you're all going to lose so much VO2 max. You mm-hmm. know, it's impossible, isn't it, really? It is, and I think it's why it's important to talk to your healthcare professional before engaging with any exercise to begin with. I think one of the like key principles that, we can, that people can take from sort of the exercise science industry is um, progressive overload. So progressively increase the amount of activity that you're doing. That doesn't have to to be in the gym. It can just be around the home. So can you get up and walk for an extra five minutes per day? Um, preferably if you're just getting out of bed, you've been in bed for quite a while. Um, if, you've, if you're quite, um, if you're significantly deconditioned, then consider you know, having, some, having some supervision, so having a family member help you around to do this at the start. And then branch out from there. I think one thing I spoke about with one person was, right, can you leave your home walk to the end of the street and then come back, supervise at first, but then in time can you make it a bit further, you know, to the next lamppost and just build it from there. And I think that's one of the key um, principles from sport and exercise science and how we can um, help those in healthcare in the sense that we've got these principles. We're 
that they know too. And then don't have don't get me wrong. It's not something that we know and they don't. Yeah. Um, but something that we you know both aware of, and we're both working tandem to help patients. Well, again, it's like like you said about the uh, the, the walking and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people have got to realise if they've had some phone COVID or long COVID, or it's not going to be it's like a five-minute process. Mm-hmm. But it looks fit and what we can see, it's going to be like. Like you said, starting from scratch at the gym kind of thing, really. Yeah. It's going to be a slow process. That's yeah. where your progressive overload comes in and build them slowly if it's like a 10 minute walk. And then eventually you get up to like a 20 minute walk and 30 minute and so yeah. on and so forth. You know what I mean? It's not like five minute, just quick turnaround. You know, you said before that you're looking to do like some pitch uh, pitch work stuff like uh, on long COVID. Yeah. What what tests or what kind of stuff are you going to be trying to use to mm-hmm. like try and work out what the effects are of long COVID? And so. We were looking at quantitative and qualitative measures, so quantitative being numbers-based sort of physiological measures um, and qualitative-based in terms of um, if people can, you know, things like interviews and uh, use of questionnaires. I know quantitative data can be taken from questionnaires, but some real insights into the recovery process for patients. Um, specifically, we're looking at physiological data. We can look at VO2, da- VO- <laughs> VO2 data, which is the amount of oxygen can, that can be consumed and used by, part, um, by the um, individual's um, it's going to be using like different units. I was going to say in liters, uh, liters per minute there, but it can also be relative to body mass as well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's minute ventilation, AVO2 difference. So in the sense of, right, when you may be able to consume so much oxygen, but how much is your body using? How much is your muscle using? Is there an issue at the muscular level or is it respiratory level? Both. There's a lot of things that can be assessed there. Um, there's performance tests as well. So walking capacity tests. Um, so one test we looked at, uh, I think it was, I think, oh, it was actually given one of the recent interviews, was um, if our participant was looking to do a walking uh, test prior to the, or well, looking to do a walking test, and they have, say, like a, a blood measure taken beforehand, and they were then to faint, hmm. you wouldn't then get them to do a walking capacity test, even if it's just a walking one, um, even though you might be not doing it, something like a VO2 max test, it's still important to understand that the individual after fainting, it's very unlikely to want to engage in any test that's going to involve involve exercise. Yeah. Um. So that's another measure, and then when I move on to the sort of the qualitative measures, was sort of looking at interviews. So if we're looking to implement recovery technique, recovery techniques with participants, then we need to think right: are these realistic? And it's something that I'm considering for a recent, well, say recent. I'm also submitting a uh, research proposal for a warm-up project at the University of Derby. Yeah. And as part of that, we're looking at a questionnaire that thinks well, that's sort of asked the participants, would you do this warm um, if you're at Parkrun? So it's got to be, the practical applications need to be there. If we've got these recovery, we're looking at recovery from long COVID, we need to be looking at um, recovery strategies that can you know, be implemented. They may be quite useful, but if participants are going to engage with it relatively enough, um, then it's not going to be worth implementing as much. Um, so one example I'd like to give is something that I've looked at is uh, inspiratory muscle training. So training of those respiratory muscles, so your diaphragm and intercostal muscles. Um, from what I've seen in the research and what, from what my supervisor said, it's quite something that's quite engaged with quite a lot. Um, given that it's training the respiratory muscles as well and COVID affecting respiratory yeah. quite significantly, yeah. it may be something that um, is looked into quite a lot. Um, but again, still at the early stages of, of, of this specific to COVID. So. Um, yeah, that might take a little bit of a while to see if people do engage with that. No, like I said, it's obviously good that you've got some uh, ideas for research for it. Yeah. So I was idea tested because, like I said, it could, be, it could be a big player in a, a lot of, not only sports, professionally, it could be, like I said, 
just general public, it could have like a major effect on them. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know yet. Um, hopefully, it doesn't like, but uh, <laughs> it could have on the definitely fitness and yeah. obviously like even down the line, we don't know what other effects it could have. So it's just good to have some research. Um, talking about tests and stuff, what what's your as I say favorite tests that you do at the moment or the aspects of the tests you do? Like what's a favorite? Yeah. Like maybe conducting actual experiments or the data side. What's your favorite bit and stuff? Yeah. So the one test I like the best, well I say the best, um, is the lactate threshold assessment, so blood lactate profiling. Um, just because I think it's suitable for such a range of part, well, a range of individuals. Um, so I specifically do these for runners and cyclists at the University of Birmingham and at a, a clinic near well, in Birmingham called Rep Physiotherapy. So mm. Rep Sports Performance is that sort of subgroup from that. Um, and that, that one's based in Linworth. And the test we do there really is to establish um, sort of intensity of exercise and sort of training zones for people. And it's quite, I, find, I find it's quite important because at times you can go to say like a running group and push yourself hard, which is good. It's nice to engage with that sort of work. Um, but often we find, especially with running, um, a lot of that it, you need to do a lot of easy work and sort of need to know your zones as to what is easy. Um, I've done a couple of videos on it and I'm going to start posting them on my social media. Um, so a couple of useful things that apply to your runners from this test includes sort of knowing your zones and also having the variation. So with it, with this test, we have measures of heart rate, pace, and rating of perceived exertion. And so that can add variation to a training program. So not only are we saying, right, this is where we believe your easy zones are, your harder zones are, and this is where you should be working relative in your training. And we're also giving these individuals the chance to have a play out with the training a little bit. So let's say, I don't know, their first marker that indicates their easy zone, the upper end of their easy zone, suggests that um, their heart rate at this point is 152 beats per minute at a pace of say 850 minute mile. We then say, right, in a session, if you're just doing an easy session, the upper limit of that that we want you to go to is this pace, 850 minute mile, or to have a variation to another session, right, we want you to go up to 152 beats per minute. And so that just provides some, I suppose, some structure to your training plan program that keeps it safe and makes sure you're running easy. Also, another chance to keep you engaged with the program too. Um, and then over time, when you come back for another test, it's good to see how you've improved and sort of see that and eventually then it ensures that principle again of progressive overload. So when you come for your second test, if you've improved, right, well, let's move your zones up and let's start training you a little bit harder. In essentially training you harder in your easy zone, but your easy zone is now easier relative yeah. to what it was before. Yeah. It's the, obviously, especially for runners, yeah. obviously like that, they'll look that kind of stuff and like, yeah. it's a different way to train again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's, there's different aspects, especially with running. You can train different ways, whether it's obviously you, you more basic like distance or time, or then you got stuff like heart rate training, mm-hmm. um, heart rate training zones, and, and stuff like that as well. So, obviously, it's definitely interesting, like, yeah, that you've done some research on and stuff. That I was gonna move you more, yeah, 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 sure. more, yeah. Okay, so, don't miss your good points, <laughs> um, right? So, exercise science, yeah, um, and sports that's what you're the industry you're in, yeah. Why did you choose that? So, as a kid, I was really into football um very passionate i mean you asked anyone else in my classes um they'd say i was obsessed with it probably a bit too much who'd you sport uh warsaw oh. it's gotta be a local team what's up with that i was gonna say i think you're all Wolverhampton fan yeah, yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> all i've got to say is we, we i remember beating we beat wolves one nil long time ago at your place that was a very uh, pleasing moment but then i think the return fixture at our place you beat us three nil yeah so i don't think we'll um talk too much about that i'll edit the first bit yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, for, that was sort of the main reason I got into sport and exercise science is because 
I really had a passion for football and I wanted to work in football. As I progressed through my degree though, I sort of became increasingly disillusioned with that and started had, having passion a bit more for physiology. So physiology is essentially human function and then with the context of exercise, it's exercise physiology is human function in exercise. And so I started getting a real passion for that. And it wasn't, I suppose, to my master's degree, I sort of said to the my supervisors, I don't really, I'm not really that interested in football, especially at times it's quite a short-term career. There's a lot of bouncing around. Mm-hmm. If a new manager comes in, you know, you moved on or you might be sure you have to prove yourself to the new manager that you need to keep your place and it seems like a lot of uncertainty um and i suppose off the back of that then i sort of got more passion for some of the other disciplines as well quite interesting in nutrition um more nutrition metabolism and also some research methods that i found quite interesting and then as that's progressed again at the end of my masters and now sort of looking to a phd sort of looking more at uh, some clinical work um, just because that's where the impact is really and so one story I'd like to share just from what Ron that Suicide said shared with me before so he's worked with a lot of people that like say has COPD yeah and respiratory issues and he worked with one gentleman who was bedridden so very deconditioned very, on the point of where you know it was touch and go as to where he was going to make it and um, severe like when I say bedridden and we're talking like in hospital in intensive I think I believe it was in int- intensive care well about I think he was here about a few months, not a few months later, but probably about a year later, he was at an award ceremony. Um, I don't think he won anything on the night, or if he did, he didn't win many things. And then when he was leaving the uh, event, um, one, of, one of the security guards called him back, and it was the security guard was the guy he treated in hospital that year earlier, who was at the time bedridden, deconditioned, and now he was a security guard, and I'm sure you know, security guard isn't just a sitting around job, it's no, no, on your feet. Course, yeah. You have to be you know, going around, um, doing your regular routes, regular checks. And so, he, and he just wanted to thank him for where he was then to where he was now. And a lot of that was that rehabilitation process, but also the use of inspiration muscle training, and also that process for, of um, looking at the determinants of recovery and then taking him from um, A to B, and then B to C, and then gradually, um, getting back to the point where now he's you know we're living a functional life so for me that's the sort of sense of impact that I want in my work mm. so I've gone from once to work in football which there is plenty of impact there I'm sure people who work in football tell you the impact of the work they do but where I see my impact being now is more this can you take someone who was not on on death's door I won't say that far because I didn't I don't I don't know this individual um, but from someone who's you know their functional capacity has been severely limited to the point now where they're very much like living a very healthy life. Yeah. And so for me, that's that's the impact that I want to have from my research and from I, my work. I think that should be like the target for all of us, really, especially in our industry, uh, sports, obviously fitness, whatever. I obviously want to give people the best kind of life and the best chance at like obviously living that. Yeah. So obviously people, even like you said, like the chap who was bedridden and stuff, there's no reason he can't have, and obviously showed it, that he can't have a healthy life mm-hmm. and he can't do normal things. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to like... Be able to do normal daily activities. Yeah. I mean, if, if whether that's like, you, uh, I think you said earlier, like picking your child up or yeah, whether that's, I don't know, hoovering or some people can't at the moment. Yeah. Obviously because of problems, X, Y, Z, whatever. But if we can give them that chance to be able to do things, even if it's easier on yeah. them, I think that should be the main target, really. Yeah, yeah. That's what we should all strive for in our industries. Um, obviously, it works together. Our industries do. Mm, and stuff sure. like that. Um, talking about football, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you glad or are you sad that you didn't carry on with the football route or are you glad you went with the industry you went in? 
It's a good question. I think now I'm, I'm more happy at the moment where I'm going with it, especially as I'm doing a lot of teaching now at the University of Derby. Um, and it's a lot of impact on students as well, so you can see what they're doing and what they're going on to achieve, which is quite rewarding. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice, because yeah. obviously there's going to be a lot of people, especially younger people, and even some people like late 20s maybe, who mm. are maybe in that point in their career where they're thinking, oh, I do this what I want anymore, or yeah. is this the route I want to take? And yeah. they might be in the same situation where, like, obviously they've always wanted to do one thing, but yeah. it's something else now. It's taken a, yeah. I mean, it's good to hear if I you yourself where yeah. you had that passion of football, it was always that mm-hmm. until you got to that point, and then all of a sudden it was something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's good to hear that, what, what you think, really. If you, you're happy you took that route then. Yeah, I, mean, I think it shows you as well, like, um, when you do a degree, it's okay to change your mind, and you, sort of, you might go sort of in a career in mind. It's okay to change as you go through that, and that might even be a reason to do a degree to sort of realise your potential and realise right, well, this is what I want to do, or you might have some values going into it. So I always liked football, but really it was the the testing side of things I like to do to take someone from a position where they might be in a I don't know, uh, you take you've considered some youth products from I I, I don't know. Or, or, well, give me a Wolves player. Is it, it Gibbs White? Is, is that yeah, Gibbs White? Yeah, yeah. No, you wanted to take someone like that from uh, you know in the youth team and take it to where he's now. With, playing in the first team. I was thought, oh, that'd be a really cool thing to do. But in fact, looking at what I'm doing now, looking to what I'm getting into, you're taking someone from a very deconditioned point where their fun- functional capacity is very limited to now back to a healthy state. And so it wasn't, it isn't too far away from what I wanted to do. It's just the context in which I'm doing it and the impact I'm having is different. And so it's okay to change. It's just might be that your values are just, and your values and principles and what you want to do are just put into a different context. Um, and yeah, even if you are at the end of, the end of your, towards the end of your degree, you know, make some considerations. Is this really what you want to go into? Get some voluntary experience where possible. Um, I know there's a account on Twitter you follow. It's called Jobs in Sports Science, and they often um, list plenty of opportunities for placement work there too. So have a look for that as well. That's quite, I find that quite useful. How um, far? How far into your degree mm-hmm. did you realise that's more your kind of thing? I would say third year when I started doing my research projects, so I started looking at the effects of, um, all the interactional effects of altitude and exercise, um, and some of the stuff I was looking at, I thought, oh, this, you know, this is really cool, but you wouldn't be able to do this within a football club, and I found as well, with a lot of the exercise scientists' roles at football clubs, they do involve a sort of, it isn't, you're not just an exercise scientist in terms of physiological testing, it's the strength and conditioning side of things, it's working, Sometimes, even in some places, if there isn't a nutritionist there, you may have to take on roles such as that. Hydration, um, I, can't, I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but it's more than just that physiological testing. And I sort of got to that third point of third gen and realised, well, I don't really have that strength conditioning aspect. So that's why I went on to do a master's to sort of have a realisation more of that. So the sports training principles as part of that module. Um, but also to get an applied experience. So I thought I could perhaps go to the University of Derby and work in a, you know, maybe, maybe work in a football club maybe do something differently and so that because there's that third year point it's like mm, I could go either way with it but after having those conversations with my supervisor who worked in Nuts County and um, he sort of saying to me you know it is a very it's not a very secure job and um, he did enjoy it however he found um, he's calling more in the sort of um, health research clinical research um, and when I went to do my placement there I worked for the human performance unit and uh, voluntary placements at the University of Derby and I now I'm now paid to work there for them, doing testing for runners, cyclists, and I think even tested a few rows as well. Yeah. So that role sort of developed in itself. So again, it's okay. It's okay to do that. It's okay to change and 
explore new things. Um, I was for all I've got to stick with this because I've made my decision now. It's okay to change now. I'm getting paid to do this work now too, so there's no problem with that. I, I think it's some good advice, like mm. especially like I said for people who <clears throat> younger generation who obviously like I don't know, come at uni or whatever they're doing and they can't quite decide what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like it's it's a good thing just for them to hear. Obviously, yeah. it's all if. Because we all have that thing in our mind that we wanted this. Yeah. Um, I was saying I wanted to do football coaching. Yeah. That was always my goal. And I did two badges. And then obviously I did my fitness course. And that's when I got into fitness. Yeah. And I've been in there since. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a passion for football. I still love football now. But again, like you said about the football industry, it's a very hard industry to break into. Yeah. And once you're in there, it's very hard to stay in there. Like, yeah, even yeah. as, like, from playing football, like, it's so hard to get chosen or get scouted. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it'd be the same for the, the backroom staff as well. Yeah. It's so hard to get in there. Once you do, you can't guarantee you're going to be staying there, you yeah. know what I mean? But um, it's good for people to just realise that you can take another route. Yeah. Or there's maybe other doors open. So from that, from, like, you're going from your sports science, you might ever find other doors open. Yeah. I mean, you might end up in a football club in the end. Yeah. You, you never know what I mean. It's yeah, it stuff could open. Yeah. So it's good to hear that it's from... Obviously, from yourself, yeah, it's yeah, the cool. um, Let's talk a bit, little bit about running then. So, yeah, so sure. I know you're big into <laughs> running and stuff. And, uh, yeah. So you you do a lot of running yourself, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Go on, I'll let you carry on. Go on. I was going to say, like, up, to this, up to this week, I, I was averaging about 30 miles per week for my running. So I'm looking to, well, I say I'm looking to, I am taking part in the Manchester Marathon in October. Um, so I've been building my mileage and seeing it really since year and a half now. Just because I, I you know, with lockdown and that, you, I sort of had plan, initial plans to partake in events, um, and I've just built it up from then. Um, but there hasn't been any events, so I've just sort of kept it myself ticking over. And it's only like I was just saying to you earlier, like uh, last week I picked up a little bit of an injury, but it's nothing, nothing major. It was just uh, managing the intensity of my exercise for that week. I was trying to, you know, things opening back up with the gyms, the running, and my mates wanting to play football. Perhaps doing just a little bit too much, a little bit too much high intensity work, and I think that's what's probably brought about this little bit of an injury. Um, but yeah, sort of bringing it back a little bit. Yeah, really keen into my running. Um, I've also worked as an assistant running coach as well. Um, and yeah, as, as I've already alluded to, the tests I do are very specific to runners too and for their training programmes. You must enjoy running because uh, it's not the kind of thing <laughs> where you just think, oh yeah, I like running. You know, yeah. You must enjoy it. Um, for sure. Is, is it the... Do you enjoy running because... Um, I don't know, it's that thing of... Oh, Ryan, like you said, you do 30 miles in a mm. week, or is it that thing of you've been able to run that far, mm. or is it just a thing of you, you'd prefer to do that than other types of training? Yeah, so I think um, I played football for a very long time, and it's funny, probably my, uh, well, when I started part in ways in my studies to more the clinical side, probably when I stopped playing football as much, or putting as much, well, I say effort, I sort of trying, but like less of a, a drive towards it, you know, especially with my training. So the past two years been quite nice to sort of change my training more specifically to running, especially in the gym, um, and obviously doing the running training, doing distance work outside. Um, yeah, so with running, for me, it's not always about time. And I think that's what frustrates people that are like I not work with, but the runners that I go with the running group and I run with. So I'll watch your five k time, um, which is under twenty minutes. Let me just uh, <laughs> put that there. I was very happy with that. I did that around Walsall Live recently. I was dying at the end of it, but I was happy with it. Um, but yeah, it is nice to say I've run this far, and that. But I like to see how I well, <laughs> it's a bit self-absorbed. But I like to see how my body change. I like to see how I do in training. Um, can I run these one kilometer one kilometer laps quicker than I did three or four months ago? Um, I like the physiological testing. So I don't just test people. I also te- I've also tested myself many a time. 
And it's, I like to see how my data improves over time as well and how that relates to the research and how that relates to other runners and what their times are like. Um, I suppose because I've only been engaging with running for about a year and a half to two years, I haven't really had the opportunity to take part in events and performances. So maybe with time I'll sort of maybe get a bit more passionate about timing and um, distances that I've run. Um, but at the moment, I'm just sort of happy with, you know, that's not much Strava segments, but like, do, you know, getting better and seeing myself get, a bit, get better um, and performing better or outperforming people at the running club or getting close to them. You know, some of the really good runners that are there, I'm like, well, I'm not too far off them now. Whereas before, when I remember my first session, I was running in a pair of like these Nike uh, running shoes that were from Sports Direct. They weren't running shoes. And yeah, I remember it was on, it was on the track first session and I was trying to keep up in the first lap with someone who recently has done a two and a half hour marathon. <laughs> um, yeah, it was stupid that by the end of it, I was quite far back. So um, yeah, hum, hum, I'd say that's, that's the thing about running. When you get into it and you know, especially with a running club, it, is, it can be quite humbling. Uh, especially coming from football because you think you've got this fitness but it's a different type of fitness yeah it's um it's a different type of training definitely yeah. and uh <laughs> obviously whether that's uh recreational or mm-hmm. in a like a race kind of setting really mm-hmm. either way it's definitely like it's a different a lot of different things in a way mm-hmm. you know like yeah. obviously in the lockdown and stuff running became like probably the number one thing to do i think yeah, yeah because it's sure. all we could do mm-hmm. like, I, I remember going out and like because that many people running yeah and i think you never see this like if right. it wasn't lockdown you never mm-hmm. see this but I bet he gave a big shock to a lot of people who mm-hmm. one day go before I'm going to go running to keep fit and they went out and I bet you had a massive shock yeah like, I definitely bet they're liking yeah um, and obviously I bet they probably come, they probably had a, a target in mind we all do when we go out running whether that's time or distance we have some kind of like distance or time in mind yeah. like I'm going to run for 10 minutes or half an hour or I'm going to try and run 5k yeah you know what I mean but I can guarantee it never happens first <laughs> um, it's definitely again it's one of them you have to build up to mm-hmm. um, starting easy as well I think that's a couple there's a couple of messages I was sort of tend to because I was running with this sorry I was working with this running club um, or online running coaching group um, in lockdown and the message we're saying straight away is when you join you got to start easy uh, if you're set for, say for example you want to go out and start with like 20 minutes running or 30 minutes running um, there's no there's no medal for doing it really quick start with a low jog slow jog um, or even if you're not at that stage where you just sort of you can only jog for a few minutes or um, you can do things quite intermittently then look at the couch the couch to 5k program I thought I think that's been really helpful for a lot of people during this lockdown um, only thing I would say then is what's what next so once you get that 5k what are you doing then? Because um, I do feel like that program just sort of, maybe it's because I haven't researched it as much, but it just seemed like it just sort of drops you off. So one thing I said to my aunt, because she completed it, um, was right, we'll go through the Couch to 5K program again. However, this time when, it, when the audio says, right, walk, jog instead. And when it says jog, run instead. And intermittently, it'll build you up yeah. and that higher intensities. But then still to maintain that volume, still try and get one 5K in, um, per week. Um, and that way then it's adding that progressive overloading with the intensity, but you still got that one 5k, which can be at that easier pace for you. Um, so yeah, no, that's just one thing I'd like to say for people. If they're looking to do that 5k, that couch 5k program, there's just like a little tip where you can think, right, well, I've done the program now. Let's carry on. Let's see what I can do. I think that's another thing as well. Like you said, where next? That's mm. the same for people who come out of lockdown as well. Yeah. Like obviously loads of people have been really locked down and stuff, and that's the way they kept fit, which is obviously great. They've kept themselves fit, but now we come out of lockdown where next like yeah. we don't want them to just stop 
You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. And we can't force them, we can't guarantee all them people are going to go into a gym yeah. setting or carry that running on because, yeah. let's face it, the weather isn't the best in the no, country no. and stuff. And <laughs> so they do need somewhere else to go, really. And obviously, if there's more programs or, I don't know, obviously clubs and stuff that they can get into. And if they do enjoy running and they enjoy mm-hmm. it for lockdown, then carry on. There's needs obviously somewhere to aim for and stuff. And hopefully, if uh, restrictions get lifted and more events come on, yeah, I think that'll definitely help as well. But I still have to wait and see yeah. <laughs> what happens with that. Um, right, warm ups. I know we wanted to talk about the warm ups and stuff. Sure. Um, uh, let's go into warm ups first. Should we go the gym first? Yeah, go for it. Because I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you take this first. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to, um, go against what you were saying. Yeah, no, that's so right. I'll let you carry on. We'll, we'll have a little bit of a <laughs> um, No, because obviously we'll go to the gyms first. Um, <clears throat> warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's a big... I think there's a big... Um, oh, debate about this. Warm-ups <laughs> in the gym setting. Do you um, warm-up? I do, but I don't warm-up out. People, other people for yeah. warm up. <laughs> See, for me, because I also do a lot of weight training, I do. So mm-hmm. I always warm up. I go whatever exercise I'm doing that day, or whatever muscle group I'm focusing that day, mm-hmm. whether it be let's go chest, for example. I'd warm up on a um, a chest exercise, yeah. would be body weight okay. or very light weight. So, for yeah. example, just just Olympic bars, twenty kilo, a light mm-hmm. weight, and I'd do a, a couple of three sets of those yeah. just to get the muscles warm. Because mm-hmm. for me, and I've read some research once, I can't remember. Um, What's the point in, for example, if you're going to do a, a weight session yeah. and you walk on a treadmill for five minutes? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, one, you're not going to get into that kind of intensity that you need to. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the muscles firing. Plus, obviously, there's no chest activation at yeah. all where you're going into a chest exercise. Yeah. So if, if you want with like a, a very light weight, obviously, yeah. it's not going to be enough tension where it's going to give any kind of negative effects on the muscle group. Yeah. But it'll start firing that muscle group, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people warm up on totally random machines for yeah. no reason um, which obviously is fine if they get themselves warm but it's not going to kind of focus on those muscles Yeah. so I'd like to talk about football earlier um, when I played that charity match stuff I warmed up make sure I warmed up properly yeah. um, but there's a lot of people who wouldn't bother yeah. or they'd warm up a different totally different area yeah, yeah. It's like, so what do you expect because yeah, yeah. you're not even going to be performing that area as, as, as well because it's not warmed yeah you know I mean so like if you're doing a warm-up you might find that you can increase that weight that you're lifting by an extra like, 10 cents or like, you know what i mean I uh, go on I'll, I'll let you see what you think no that's no, good I, I think there's a lot to it really so um you're taking chest day for example i think going on to say the channel for five ten minutes it's an okay thing to do but then subsequently do a warm then then more specific to one chest up. so if you want to get on the treadmill to begin with you know let's say you've come in from work you've been sitting down all day quite stiff so like getting on the getting on the treadmill and promote blood flow to a range of muscles is i think it's a good thing to do to start with um but then if you're just then hopping like say hopping off and then you're like getting into uh, your chest presses at like i don't know 80 percent of max mm-hmm. then i think that's it's, it's a little, you know it's still okay i think it's better than doing no warmer but if you're going to do a warm-up that's quite it's going to be quite specific to what you're about to do then i think adding in exercises for example body weight exercise to begin with is a useful thing to do one thing I would probably add in there too is some dynamic stretching or some mobility work. So I think, um, you know, uh, we know Glenn. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of that, you also saying to me when we just come to the gym, um, just have a look at some of these mobility exercises that'll help you with going into, you, going into your, um, your exercises. Um, so I still do that now. But again, make them specific to the work you're about to do. So if you're going to do a lot of chest work, make it specific to the chest. Or um, if you're doing some pull exercise, make it specific to the back. Or even if, if you're working at home quite a lot in the day and you struggle to get mobility work in, 
use your warmth to get some of that work in then because um, it's, it's going to benefit the muscles you're about to use if it's specific to the exercise you're about to do um, but then it's also got the benefit of adding that mobility work that's um, it's different it's, it's helping you um, how to put it so if you've been sitting down all day you're going to get quite stiff um, you may have issues with your posture little bits of mobility work like this will help um, and that would be what I'd say for a warm in, in specific to the gym. Yeah, uh, I'd, yeah, I'd agree with that. Mobilisation, obviously, mm-hmm. getting that chest much I played in, I did that. Mm-hmm. Leg swings, like leg kicks, and like just get the legs firing first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely suggest that. Um, it's just like you said about the eighty percent. Like, if if you're going straight in, yeah, and you're expecting to lift, I don't know, like your like say if you're doing three sets, your third set weight mm-hmm. straight away. Like, yeah, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, of course, isn't. I can mm-hmm. guarantee your muscles probably aren't firing. One, mm-hmm. you're probably not gonna be able to lift it because your muscles aren't even warm. Yeah. And two, you're more subsequent to an injury, really. I think it's important, a point you picked up on there about firing. So, think, when you think about a warm, it's not just um, getting them warm. So, temperature is a big part of it, but it's blood flow. It's also neuromuscular activation. So, your brain making that connection with your muscles and getting ready to increase that firing rate and to get your muscles firing, well, I say firing, but getting them moving in a way that's gonna be well coordinated. And that's an important part, and also for the the um, exercise and the weight that you may want to lift, but also the coordination of that and reducing the risk of injury. Well, there's one that I think we spoke about earlier, about um, a glute test you can do. Um, and a glute test basically tests when you're doing, um, you lift basically lift your leg and obviously you can see which muscles fire first between the hamstring, lower back and mm-hmm. uh, your glutes. Um, and obviously it should be your glutes because it's the biggest, strongest muscle. Yeah. So especially when you're squatting, for example, it should be the glute that fires first. With the glute test, you can see which one, yeah. in which order. Um, and nine times out of ten, I, I kind of last time I did somebody in that the, the glute fired first. Yeah. Um, obviously, normally you find more women because mm-hmm. obviously glutes are stronger and they train that area more. Mm-hmm. But especially the blokes, like I think my hamstring was first to fire. Yeah. Um, and obviously the problem is then is if you're doing any kind of leg exercise, especially a squat, you're going to find that more emphasis will go onto that muscle group. So yeah. if more emphasis goes into hamstrings, that's mm-hmm. going to cause you a big problem. Yeah. Um, whereas the the glutes should be taking. You know, in most of the so yeah. if all you have to do then is you want you tested, and if you whichever one's firing first, if it's not the glutes, mm-hmm. do some glute activation work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then try it again, mm-hmm. and then by then, obviously you should be glutes firing first, and you mm-hmm. should find that your squat is a lot better or mm-hmm. the exercise. Better. Interesting. Uh, see, mate. Yeah, yeah, teach me things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to do. Mm-hmm. I can show you less. It's dead easy. It's dead easy test. It's literally two minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you, you should always be glutes firing first, and awesome. very rarely you find that. It is too far. Really cool. um, so warm ups. Let's mm-hmm. go more sports specific then, yeah. or uh, if you're running or whatever. Let's yeah. go. Which one do you go first? So I'll, if it's alright to go running, because like because yeah, um, yeah. that could then feed into into football, yeah, yeah. for example, that because that's you know running based sport. Um, but yeah, so with running, there's a lot of literature that I've looked at in preparation for a research proposal that I'm looking at, and um, specifically with recreational runners. Um, so my sort of finding from it is that you want to have, if possible, the gold standard walk would be contain three sort of sections um, a pulse raising activity so a jo- light, light jog or a jog that's within that easy zone that I spoke about earlier below that LT something called LT1 there's two markers LT1 and LT2 so in within that easy zone secondly dynamic stretching no I would advocate dynamic straight stretching over static stretching so a moving stretch rather than a um, well, say static a non-moving stretch and that's specific to the activity. So like we said, leg swings. Um, I think there's a few other exercises that got some funny names. Um, I haven't got them to hand at the moment, but yeah, I, I could probably I could probably describe, it's almost like um, 
like a single, I think one of them was like a single leg uh, RDL, but body weight. And this is the, the point I want to make is like a lot more body weight exercises. So they can be done just ahead of a parkrun, for example. Um, and then the final exercise that has been sort of touted as part of the gold standard warm up is something called post activation potentiation exercise. So this is work that will, to give an example of exercises, might be um, some two footed jumps, squat jumps. Uh, a few a few sprints or some bounding work, and essentially there's many sort of theories as to how this improves um subsequent performance. But essentially, it's suggesting um that that it will subsequently improve improve performance as part of this warm up. Um, however, there's many caveats to this. So, for example, is someone going to do this ahead of a park run? So, are they going to do a light jog before? A lot of people don't warm up first and foremost. So that's part of the research sort of says right. Doing a warm-up is better than doing nothing. So we've got conditions where we're looking at just jogging. Then if you add the dynamic stretching in, are people going to do some dynamic stretching? I can probably say, I've seen a fair few people do some stretching at park run, um, perhaps not very vigorously or very, you know, it's very like half-hearted, half-hearted, um, but people still, you know, might do it. Then you move on to the PAP work, the post-activation potentiation work. Are people going to do these exercises? Are you going to see people doing frog jumps, um, and bounding exercises and sprints before you do a five kilometre time before a park run. Now that's the question, will they do it? And then secondly, can they do it? So a lot of these exercises can be quite tough to do and to do properly, especially with the path work. And if someone's just turning up for a park run and they want to do achieve a PB, but they maybe not necessarily can um, sustain these sort of exercises and they can get quite fatigued doing some of these exercises. So I don't know if you've done any, um, any like frog squats or um, two footed plyometric jumps or um, these sprinting or bounding but it can be quite, quite tiring and if you're not used to that sort of work um, it can leave you quite fatigued then ahead of your race and so are people going to include these ahead of a, a five kilometer time trial maybe can they can they cope with it then go into it maybe not and so that's why another important consideration with that um, is not only the intensity of your walk but then how long do you have then between your warm up and your performance, it's so something called transition time, mm. and from the research suggests you should leave around five to ten minutes ahead of your say five kilometers time trial before your park run, um, between that walk and the performance. However, that's not always possible. You know, if you go to do a park run for social reasons, you want to go there and have a chat with friends beforehand. Five minutes isn't always a long time, and a lot of time to do that to have that catch up. Yes, you can talk afterwards, but you know, are people going to be that? Um, I don't want to be rude here, but like, are, people, are some people going to be that obsessed that they want to get this 5 kilometer time trial PB over the social aspect of doing a parkrun? So this is the sort of things I'm looking at as part of this research to see, right, with quantitative and qualitative measures, can we piece together first, will participants engage with these different types of warm-ups? Will they improve performance? And can they improve performance as well? So can participants cope with the intensity and duration and then the transition time ahead of performance with these with regards to these warm-ups so that's a lot of information i'm just throwing at you no, it's uh, i think the like you said about the um the work before the race yeah i think the main people who's going to that is going to be your you possibly say they're slow elite runners or your professional runners mm. um or people who are educated yeah because if you don't educate people it'll be most people will be like what's the point or do i need mm. to really you know what i mean that's the point of doing the research though so a lot of this well i say a lot of this a significant amount of work has been done on elite and trained individuals like you've alluded to just there but barely have anything's been done with recreational runners and those that have done with recreational runners i was looking at one study um, a few days ago 
examined uh, 12 male athletes with an average age of 21 years old. Now, I was looking at statistics this morning in America, and it, it, it probably support that in a, in a sense, because it was saying that the proportion of people that go out for a run are quite more dominated by the 18 to sort of 30 age group. Um, but from my understanding, if I go to the park runs, the demographic of people there, especially recreational runners who want to consistently engage with running, isn't in the bracket of 18 to 25 or 18 to 30. It's more from 25 to sort of 60 in, within that age range. And obviously you've got people you know, younger and older than that. But predominantly, I've seen it's sort of that age group. So in my opinion, research therefore needs to be done to examine whether warm-ups with these type of people are, first of all, are they useful? Can they cope with it? And will they do it? Um, and that's why it's important to say, look at it with recreational runners and give them some information. So like I say, those are highly educated, but can we give this? Can we give them this information in a way that they don't have to do a, a you know a degree like I've done? So can we give them some useful infographs and can we share with Parker and that yes, a warm up will be helpful beforehand. It can help reduce the risk of injury, but then can also help you perform better. Um, these are what other people, other Parker runners have said about this warm up. You know, and sort of translating that research into applied practice and then saying right, here's some information, guys. And you might not get everyone doing it, but you might get some people doing it. And that might help the performance, but also help their whole experience of a parkrun. You kind of give them, need to give them a reason, don't you, really, to do it? Yeah. Because why well, just go and do it because you've said so, or because um, they decided to. It's, there's got to be a reason behind it. Yeah. Same way for me, if you give people a reason, um, obviously you're more likely going to get them to do it. Mm-hmm. So they need, like, uh, why it's going to benefit them, yeah, or yeah. why is there a reason, or it's going to stop this happening, like, say, it's going to stop, it's going to give you less chance of injury, for example, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and the thing about the generations, like, yeah, like, the different age group and stuff, obviously we need to look at the, say, the older generation, just because, obviously, got more likely onset of stuff like arthritis, yeah. um, even cartilage damage through, yeah. obviously, constant uh, running and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So definitely look at them, because a more could be very beneficial to them. Also, we just need the research yeah. and the evidence just to like back mm-hmm. that up kind of thing. But then, like you say, if someone's got cartilage damage, uh, you wouldn't want to do any oh, of no, that no, no, work. No, so that's, that's <laughs> I think you make a good point. So understanding the context, you know, it's then the same way. Well, if we then, I don't know, converse information to say heads of park and all these sorts of organisations, it's important for them to know we've got this context-specific information that this inform- this research was done on X runners with no in- no previous in- or no recent injuries in the past two weeks. Um, and then if you ask someone who's got suffering with an injury at the moment, something like post-activation potentiation work may most likely isn't for you, um, especially just because of the intensity of the exercise, you know, sprinting, bounding, jumping. You know, if you're suffering with arthritis, I think that's going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you know, a part of a part from might just be keep, you know, keep fit and healthy, not just uh, not really um, try and put yourself push up to max and try and hurt yourself. Yeah, I was talking to a chap the other day, and he runs quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying to him, he said he's. I think he'd been to the doctor and he said he'd be told he's got arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give him some advice, stuff, time what to do and stuff. But he's adamant, obviously, he's still going to run. Yeah. So I said, well, I, I can advise you what to do. Yeah. Um, obviously, I said, like, you might find that it's, it's probably still going to hurt you at some point, but yeah. there's stuff I'll give him to do, hopefully, or make it easier for them. Yeah. But that's somebody who's actually come and spoke to me. Mm-hmm. There's probably so many people out there who don't yeah. speak to anybody. And I've got arthritis, or especially cartilage damage, because that's the that's most common one with runners and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they still try and carry on when it's like, no yeah. excruciating pain. And it's like, I don't know why you do that, because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of nothing worse, to be honest. <laughs> but so, like, yeah, if there's definitely some reasons there for yeah. them to do A, B, C, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think more like people take it up then and try it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's also important then to consider, there's not just one type of exercise. If you enjoy running, you might enjoy a bit of cycling as well. 
Um, and that's not saying you have to start running, you know, full stop. It may just be you may benefit benefit from different types of exercise. You know, maybe some work in the gym, some strength work, which may then lead to improved performance or improve um, sort of perception of effort or improve perception of well, I say perception of pain, but a reduced perception of pain in your running performance then or in your running training. Um, so engaging in these different types of exercises might actually be quite useful for you, and you may have a lot of not just useful for your performance, but then you might find subsequently you enjoy your activity more. Um, you may find a new sport that you engage. You think, you know what, I'm actually quite enjoy this. I might do more of this. Um, so yeah, it's just, I, I think there's many benefits to exploring different types of activities. Um, I mean, like to see with me, I'm, I'm really engaged in my running at the moment, but I'm still doing my strength training at the gym. Mm. I'm still doing some mobility where I can. And I engage with football with my friends still. You know, I've gone from someone who was obsessed with football when I was you know, younger, to now I just play, play once a week and I enjoy you know, keeping up to date with football. It doesn't mean I have to leave it all together because now I do running, but um, you might just bring it down, just focusing on different activities. You might, you, know, you might find that you enjoy the new activity even more. Yeah, it's just, again, it's just what people, like the general public, mm-hmm. they need to realise as well, like you said, jumping all in, all, all this stuff in one exercise or one type of activity, whether it's running or whatever, just try different things and different yeah. aspects and obviously all of them together will work together mm-hmm. um, obviously you might just need to change things whether like you said if, if it's certain reason you find problems with running like decrease that a little bit but increase other aspects and but I think people into that instead just like one day going for a run and thinking oh this will be the best way for me to lose weight and just go running all the time yeah. just try different things you know yeah, what I mean yeah. like I said obviously if, you, if you're only doing one thing whether that's running or cycling and you only focus on that, you're more likely going to suffer from with other things, obviously yeah. like your strength training, that will help you so much with running yeah. or cycling, so why not do both, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. instead of yeah. doing one. And you're still burning calories by doing strength training, maybe not as much as like say, I was saying to you earlier, like doing a long run, sometimes I burn over a thousand calories, but you're still burning calories in the gym by doing that sort of work, so if your goal is, um, that's, I don't know, it's weight loss or weight maintenance, um, then it's still going to have that sort of, it's a very similar desirable effect that you're after. So, and it may, like I say, it may in the long term mean that if you, I don't know, suffer an injury because you're over, you're overtraining through running or cycling, and then you are off for a period of time, and you put that weight back on, and then it's some sort of a challenge to then get back, and you may be in a vicious cycle of doing that. But if you engage this different type of work, you might find in the medium to long term that you're able to consist, able, you're able to engage with exercise more consistently over a long, longer period of time, and you know, lose that weight or maintain your weight. I also find as well we've. Um... Obviously, we're just training stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> normally, with running, there's, I, I think we should talk about this when I live before. Um, there's normally either it's your, your cardio fitness or that kind of fitness that yeah. goes, or it's your muscular fitness, so okay. like muscular endurance mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Normally, I find speaking to people, it's one of them two things: either their endurance, muscular endurance goes first, or mm-hmm. their cardiovascular. Oh, in, during a run. Yeah, during a run, or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's what so, stuff. yeah, yeah. You normally you find it's one of them two things. Yeah, and. Obviously, people just think, well, I'll just do, like, I don't know, more, more cardio yeah, or more yeah. running, but then they don't think about the muscle endurance aspect of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I and muscular strength. Yeah, I think I remember mentioning this, uh, so a few studies about that, because it should, yeah, so, how was it, it's one this morning I was looking at as well, about running economy. So, um, in terms of endurance performance, specifically running, there's three main factors you can consider. VO2 max, which is the maximum amount of oxygen you can consume, um, then you've got your lactate threshold, so at lower intent well I say lower at hard intensities what is um the what is the intensity you can run at, at the hardest without accumulating lots of lactate so a lot of this um well lactate can be described as 
from a substance that can then subsequently indirectly lead to fatigue. So what's the highest intensity you can run at um, without accumulating a lot of lactate? Um, and the third one was running economy. Now the Vitamax and lactate relate to a lot of um, how can I put it like, physiological, your cardiorespiratory measures. Whereas running economy, as there's a plethora of um, factors that are leading to a running economy. And a lot of this time people might think, oh, it's, it's um, specifically uh, the amount of VO2 that you're using, so a respiratory measure, or it's to do with your form. Well, your form is informed, <laughs> your form is informed by um, muscular characteristics and work that you might do in the gym. And so that's an important point there, you say about breaking down to your cardiorespiratory and your muscular, you know, that's, these are a couple of the reasons where you might stop in an event or might be a, a limiting factor. Well, running economy encompasses many of these factors that um, people may want to have a little look at. Um, but again, I suppose another training principle we're bringing to that is specificity. So if you're going to the gym, that's one thing I probably didn't pick up quick enough when I started running is if you're going into the, if you're doing work in the gym and you want to help benefit, say, your running performance or cycling performance, make sure your exercises or try and focus your exercises on um, ones that can be specific to your sport or generally specific to your sport. So I find I still do um, deadlifts now, I still do squats, um, single leg exercises, a lot of, as you can imagine, leg work yeah. and a little bit of upper body. But when I first started, I was still doing my chest presses, shoulder presses, um, what else was I doing? My dips, I was still doing a lot of upper body work. And really, I don't really, I didn't really need to do that as, as much. Still going to be some benefit there, especially with postural control. Um, but, you know, more of a focus need to, to be given to the lower body, which subsequently from this lockdown, I've been given more attention to. And it, I've been found, it's, it's found it's quite helpful. Yeah, I, I know obviously a lot of getting a lot of people go running. Um, and the, the go running, I don't know, again, because they enjoy whatever, but they don't do any other work. Yeah. It's like, why not? Like, yeah, you can benefit you, you so yeah, much yeah. and it can have such a positive effect. But again, I think that's just because they're not educated enough. And yeah. I just think, obviously, running, it's easy. I can do it. Anybody can do it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's making me lose weight or whatever, and I don't need to do anything else. But yeah. in theory, you do, really, and it can have a positive effect mm-hmm. if you do, and it probably can have a negative effect if you don't, to be honest. Yeah. And you'll probably see, obviously, further you get into the running. Yeah, yeah. What the, kind the of negative effects you can, have. Yeah, you can get from this additional training, yeah. yeah it course. doesn't have to be, like, heavy exercises. Either. You know, we're talking about deadlifts here, squats here, but these can always all be body weight exercises to begin with. Um, and you can keep them that way if, if you don't want to progress that anymore. You know, you know, you're not, you don't have to do that. But adding those little few exercises may just make that little bit of a difference to make you enjoy your running a little bit more. and may help your performance improve just that little bit more too. Talking about body weight as well, because mm-hmm. you mentioned it before. Um, the reason we say body weight, like for especially for warm ups or stuff like that, yeah. or to get muscles firing, people these probably people probably think that body weight's no good mm-hmm. because. Obviously, you not use any weight. Yeah. But then people have got to think it's their body weight. Yeah. Exactly. So some people like I don't know. Some people could weigh ninety, hundred kilograms. Yeah. I mean that's a lot of weight mm-hmm. to push. And if you can push your own body weight, yeah, that's just amazing. That's one of the kind of the. It's one thing that's going to help you with daily activities. If you can lift yourself up and stuff yeah. like that, obviously that's what keeps you going. Mm-hmm, sure. And obviously, you, like I said, your own body weight could be more than enough here. Yeah. Um, even for people who are lighter, yeah. 60, 70 kilo. Okay, yeah, it sounds like a lightweight, but you're a lot lighter. Yeah. So you don't need a heavy weight in theory to yeah. out fire muscles or warm those areas up, you know what I mean? And I think people shouldn't get put off by the, the thing of body weight. Yeah, and it's also how you use that body weight as well, isn't it? So if you're, um, you could, I don't know, I could go to the gym and lift um, 10 kg dumbbells, um, let's do a shoulder press, I could jump down really quick, quick, and not really have that much muscle activation. Or 
I could, I, I said you could use no weight at all. I suppose you use a pad of exercise. Like, you could do a squat, I'll use squats instead. You could get a 20 kg, do some goblet squats, um, do 10 reps of um, 10 kg, and you could do it really quickly, bounce up and down. But alternatively, you could do body weight exercises, um, but really slowly bringing yourself down and slowly bring yourself back up. And that time and time and attention is going to do a lot, you know, a lot for you really, um, than simply just going up and down, up and down, up and down with a bit of weight. So it's also considering how you're using your body weight, um, not just necessarily the exercise that you do, you do that you're doing. Yeah, just like I'd like to add that. Yeah, I definitely think like your body, your body weight can be manipulated in different ways mm-hmm. to train with. And I think it's definitely, it's somewhat, especially for people who are just starting. Let, let's take it after lockdown, for example. Like people are just starting kind of back into it. Mm-hmm. Some people like starting from scratch. That yeah. kind of, that's what they're thinking. And body weight can be a great way. Like in lockdown, we had to use what we had. Yeah. Some people didn't have nothing at all. <laughs> so your body weight was, so you can still use that body weight as a kind of a, as a, as a thing to use in, mm-hmm. to train with yeah. and body weight it can actually be a good I mean, especially to start off with yeah you can progress later on that's where you progress where low comes in but to start you off mm-hmm. you can definitely be somewhere to start and for warm ups what's better than lifting your own body weight as a warm up yeah. you know I mean especially like in a squat for example you're literally pushing your body weight mm-hmm. up you know what I mean uh, pull ups again obviously you're pulling your whole body weight yeah. if you can pull your whole body weight it's good yeah that's really yeah. good like a lot of people can't do it anyway. No. Even even bigger, stronger people, they can't lift their body weight because no. it's such a heavy weight. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, so I think that's definitely a great place to start from. Mm-hmm. That is. Um, so, if what's next for Callum? Oh, I, I really want to do a PhD, um, but it's going to be a funny PhD because if you think a PhD is over three to four years, um, I can't continue to do some of these part-time work alongside the the PhD. Well, I, 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 I say I can't. I can do some of them. Um, but it's, I want to commit more to my work. So at the moment, I, was, I mean, at the moment, I'm still working on Sundays at Ryman. Um, I still do um, part-time work as well. I say with the testing as well, but I can still do the testing because I'm passionate about that. Um, but say from that Ryman job, for example, I wouldn't want to do that alongside PhD studies because that's a whole Sunday. Then I could be, I could be doing some reading. I could be, do, I could be using that time for a sort of social or sort of switching my mind off for a little bit, and then using the Saturday to then do some more of the work and committing to it, towards it more. So I think the PhD is the thing that I really want to do next. And as I said, there's a couple that I'm looking at at the moment. Um, beyond that though, um, I'm, I'm moving towards sort of lecturing, if I'm going to be honest. Um, specifically, like University of Derby is a place that I really felt welcome. So working there and continuing to work there beyond, let's say a PhD or doing a PhD there and working on that um, would be a goal of mine. But sometimes things come up I mean there was one that came up at um, Birmingham City University of the week and then my supervisor well my previous supervisor like you know have a look at this and if sometimes if it, fit, if it fits then I may go down to a different university I may go down a little bit of a different career path you know might go specific to football it depends what's on offer really I mean someone might uh, message me after this podcast <laughs> and be like oh well, well, can you, you, never know. And, you, never can know. you get, you know come do some work for me you never know exactly. Just don't forget to mention me when you found oh, um, <laughs> Yeah, like I said, obviously different doors can open and stuff. And mm-hmm. like you said, obviously football's kind of the back thing now, but it could always come back to being the, your main. Yeah. You mean your main job or what you do the most? Um, obviously, you have to see what happens while you and comes along. Um, obviously, we're running and stuff. What's your next plan? with you running? I know you say you got a, a run Manchester Marathon. You yeah, before October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm working to at the moment. So there'd be a lot of volume building up to that. Um, so that, the goal with that because it's my first marathon initially when I first signed up it's like just enjoy it get it done um, however people at the running club people at my university like yeah you can do three and a half hours easy 
and it's it's putting a bit of unnecessary pressure on me. I think, especially at the moment, like the, when I had my recent test, I thought right, I can I really I can really say I'm kicking on now. So let's improve a little bit more. And I don't think I need to do it really. It's the first marathon. I'm just going to try and enjoy it. Um, beyond that, again, not too sure. I may start focusing more on shorter distance events, just because of the amount of time and this training does take up for marathon training, because a lot of it is is about volume. Um, so I may start looking at things more like 10Ks, half marathons, so I don't have to build the volume up as much and say if I am doing a PhD, I can commit the time more to that rather than more running at the moment because like, some long runs like be around two hours, two hours, 10 minutes. And then it isn't just the time that you're running, it's the preparation beforehand. We talk about warm-ups, stuff you do afterwards, the recovery work, and then it can leave you so drained afterwards. Like Honestly, I've got back sometimes which I just want to go to sleep for a little bit. So it's considering the, the effect that that has on you. So yeah, I think more running goals will be in there. Um, probably won't go back to football. I say this, but then I see like, you know, you see highlights in the football, you're like, ah, oh, that's a really cool goal. I wish I could score a goal we'll, like that. We all say that, you know, and then we all do it in the tens, but we pull our hamstrings to do it. <laughs> we do, yeah, indeed. Uh, we do really have good points, to be fair, but it's, uh, obviously you've got that kind of pressure to do in a certain time and stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously there's loads of factors that can come into that. Uh, even on the day, mm. like the weather can be a factor. Yeah. Even obviously at the moment we don't know yet if there'll be crowds. Yeah, even true. that can be a big factor. Like the crowd can push you that extra. I don't know, two, three, four, five miles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could, but obviously, yeah, definitely first one enjoy it, mate, and yeah. just try and finish it. So I think oh, yeah. <laughs> watches charge. I think someone did that before. They said they um, they hadn't charged their watch for a marathon. And they died halfway through. I was like, I can't let that happen. Because part know. of it's like telling people that you've yeah, done it. Yeah, of course. you got proof. Yeah, exactly. you got proof. Um, <laughs> if people want to find you, mate, on social stuff, where, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So on Instagram is the main handle that I use. So at Exercise Science Guy. Um, if you're interested in any other testing options that I've spoken about, please feel free to message me on there. Alternatively, we've got the account on Instagram as well. So the Human Performance Unit. So that's University Derby account. Um, feel free to send them a message there too. Um, and also React, Physio React um, Sports Performance is also under the name of React Running. Um, it's also an Instagram handle there that we can talk about testing options in the Birmingham area. We're specific to Minworth, um, Sutton Cold Hall area, but um, if you need any information, just let us know. We can get in touch that way. And if you want any phone phone numbers or want to have a little bit of a chat about it, then feel free to send a message to us. You say about running clubs as well. Do you take part in a running club or do you have any... Yeah, so I take part... I. I'm part of Royal Sutton Colford Running Club, um, but I also we're also as part of this um, React Running Club. So in Birmingham, we do have a Facebook page, and it is called um, React Running or React Sports Performance. Um, so if you want a bit more information about that, again, I can introduce you to the group. Um, all it is at the moment is just a little, you know, tips, hints. This is how some of the things based on our experience that we think that will be helpful for you. Um, we put a few motivational messages in there, some of the runs that we do to give you some um, a bit of food for thought that you might want to add to your own training program. And we are planning to do um, some meetups soon, it just as with restrictions just lifting yeah. at the moment. It's just an idea of numbers and things like X, Y, and Z. So we're looking to do a couple of those on Sunday soon. Um, but if you do want any more information about this, obviously drop Luke a message or search for me and I, we can send you a message about that. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, so yeah, fire, fire a question away if you've got one. Definitely. Um, obviously, if you want to find me, you know, find me at Luke.Lester on Instagram or find my website. Um, these podcasts on Spotify at the moment, Google Podcasts, I'm trying to get them uploaded to YouTube at the moment. So please go follow, share and like 
and every more episodes coming soon. Callum, we'll say thank you for coming, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Cheers. Cheers.